0: Good morning and thank you for joining in with us, or good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you're at, what time zone you're in, and when you're listening to this. Uh, we're just glad you're here, You're glad you're listening in with us, glad you're tuning in with us. Um, it, there's a couple of uh, interesting things this morning that you'll find a little different. One, I don't look like I just rolled over out of bed in a t-shirt. Um, I'm actually dressed for work this morning because we're going to do this uh, on the early end today. And uh, since several of you commented on the sound, I've commandeered my son's headset. So hopefully sounds a little bit better this week than it was last week. So I apologize for that. Uh, as is, it, we, is, it the,
1: is it the first time you've ever had comments about your sound being too low? Just in any endeavor in life? In
0: life, yes.
1: Yes, it's <laughs> yeah, the first time I've
0: ever been told, Mike, we couldn't hear you. I, I, I
1: hesitated to even bring it up. <laughs> uh,
0: as uh, as we kind of transition in here, um, we looked at, and then we began this study. We began this idea of um, trying to understand Christians at work and, and putting things together uh, from a functional standpoint. So that's what we're in, we're going to endeavor to do. Um, we're going to endeavor to try to, to figure out ways to help you um, in that work process. So with that in mind, and thinking about uh, both of us having to go to work today, Mr. Ray, how's everything down in Somerset?
1: Everything's good, my friend. Um, just just kind of by way of introduction, you know, as we as we discussed. You know, when when we last did this study, we we kind of laid the groundwork. Uh, we hope last time with with the thought that you know, God God really does care what we do uh, at the workplace, and um, it's 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 a big part of a lot of our lives. And and you know, maintaining our holiness in the workplace is is not only necessary but challenging. At times. And so um, we, we just appreciate everybody who's got interest in doing that. And, and this is kind of our attempt at tackling it. We're by no means experts. Um, we're just, we're just Christians at work. And uh, we understand some of the challenges that come along with that. And kind of our goal to talk through some of those things. It, practically, um, you know, no question, there's, we, we're going to have all the, the, the passages to, to back up, you know, the principles that we're talking about. And this is not just mine and Mike's uh, uh, idea on how to do it. You know, we're going we're gonna to have the Christian, uh, the, the biblical background. But I, but I think our, our goal is for the questions that we tackle to be practical. And so um, that's kind of the reason, Mike, I think that, that as we look at this organizational chart, if you're on the video with us, um, we kind of got a generic organizational chart on the screen. And we kind of wanted to tackle this functionally. And I don't think I've ever done that in any Bible study setting, and and so we kind of hope that's a, a unique and, and and worthwhile endeavor. Is that we there are unique challenges from different roles in an organization, and and you know by kind of deep diving each of these departments individually, it, it's my hope that we can unearth some interesting questions and. And, and actually, you know, maybe talk about some scenarios that somebody, you know, we can think through from a Christian perspective on, on how to handle different situations and, and, and have this be of some benefit to somebody.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the other thing. As we get started here, I want to solicit again, you know, if you have specific questions that have come up in the workplace, difficult decisions, hard things that, you know, you've had trouble working through, or uh, maybe not that happened to you, just happened at your organization and you wonder you know, I, man, I just didn't know what to do there. And maybe here's what I did, but I didn't feel great about it. Um, send those to us, email them, text them, messages, whatever. Um, cause, cause that, that's really what we're going to try to do while, you know, as Michael said, we're not, you know, we're, we're not experts in this field by any stretch of the imagination. We're a couple of guys that have you know worked our way up the corporate ladder and, and made a bunch of these decisions. Um, some of them incorrectly, I'm absolutely sure. And, and hopefully some of them we got right. Uh, what we hope that you get out of this is not necessarily just the answers to the questions, but hopefully the process you know How, how do you go about you know how, you know when you guys are hit with this, what do you do and you 'll get some of that kind of banner back and forth from us of all right, well, have you thought about this, have you thought about that there 's this principle or there 's that principle, and that 's what we Again, when we started this whole podcast, that's that's all we ever want to do is just invite you all into our crazy conversations um, so that you can see how we, you know, back and forth, try our best to tackle this. You know, we want to be um, servants of God. We want to be pleasing of God. We want to try to do the right thing. And sometimes taking a concept and putting it into a hard reality um, is always as easy as, as we make it out to be from the pulpit, right? Sometimes it's a little bit more challenging than that, and that's what we we hope to be able to to guide you through. So with that in mind, Michael, where, where are we going to fire at them today? Where are we going to start?
1: Well, I, we're going we're to start in the, in the sales department. And, and this is a place where you uh, certainly have more uh, expertise and, uh, you know, time spent than, than I do. Um, so, so I, I think with your permission, I'm going to take the lead and fire the hard questions at you and give you first crack at them. And, yeah. um, and, and then I'll, I will, you know, correct your answers from there (laughs) Uh, (laughs) keep score (laughs) yeah yeah so i'll just i'll just keep score it'll be fine you know the 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 principle that that you know kind of it may go without saying but we we're going to continue to say it um each lesson is the the principle from colossians 3 um and that is whatever we're doing we're going to work at with enthusiasm because we work for the lord and not for people because we receive our inheritance from the lord um in the sister passage to that um, that you might remember that we talked about, excuse me, that we talked about last time was uh, Ephesians chapter six. Um, Obey your human master with fear and trembling and the sincerity of heart uh, as to Christ, not like those who do the work only when someone is watching as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. And so, that, that concept that we are doing the will of God from the heart, um, if I told you that, again, if, if I told you that you're doing something that it was the will of God and you want to do it from your heart, from your soul, it's a very spiritual, you'd be, you, I was t- I'd be talking about something very spiritual, and I am. Um, Paul used that language to talk about what we do on the, on the, work, on, on the, on the workplace, in the workplace. And right, it? So,
0: and remember from our our last conversation um, from the last podcast, you know, that that's everything, everything. So that's not the C-suite. I mean, I, I think sometimes we take these passages and we say, yes, the C-suite needs to do this. Upper management needs it. No, this is the guy that sweeps the floor. This is your entry level intern that's just there you know on an unpaid internship this is everybody everybody yes. um without exception it doesn't matter what you do and it also doesn't matter where you work if, if your work is as a uh you know a stay-at-home mom and, and your work is taking care of the kids and, and doing all those things that's still work it doesn't matter if you get a w-2 or not um whatever yeah. your work is whatever your task is it's, it's everything everything
1: yes um, and, and so here, the only, we didn't mention this last time, but the only caveat I would say is no matter what you do, work hardly is to the Lord. And it doesn't matter where your position is. One thing we didn't talk about last time is, and this is a, this is going to take a tangent. So I apologize in advance, but in my judgment, it, it does at some level matter what your business does, you know, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter how holy and godly and, righteous you want to be as an accountant if if you work for a company that produces pornography right so so it, it there has to be and i think um i've ever heard Christians say you know it doesn't matter what the output is as long as i do my do my job in a righteous way and i'm, I'm I'll, I'll be careful with that so anyway with it with those things as, as caveats we're, we're working for we're working for the Lord. We're doing it with enthusiasm. And you'll notice on our organizational chart here, it's not just the sales department manager that we're gonna be talking about. We're gonna be talking about the sales staff and the sales support staff, that, that whole department. Uh, to Mike's point, um, we're, not, we're not only talking about leaders here. We're talking about anybody, um, not just those with authority, but anybody in the department, because um, all Christians have these responsibilities. And in fact, we're gonna to try to save a lot of the management um, discussion for, for a separate, um, study altogether. So with all that said, Mike, um, go back to, go back to the screen. We'll talk about some specific issues in the sales department. Um, and so as Christians in the workplace, as those who are trying to serve the Lord from our heart, um, some questions for, uh, for Christian salespeople. Are you ready? Tee them up. Let's do it. Okay. So the, the, uh, I guess the first one would be, you know a, a stereotype of of sales is that the line between sales and and honesty um you know as a stereotype those those lines would get blurred and and when when you think of sales the the worst of sales you know the the worst sales experiences that you've had is when somebody hasn't been honest and transparent and and you know the you know so how uh you know is there a danger in sales of um, crossing that line, uh, or being not honest, not transparent. Um, and, and maybe the, the underlying question there is, you know, what is, what's the role of the salesperson? What's the role of the sales department? And, and how do you keep that from, um, lingering into, into dishonest territory?
0: All right. So, so that's, that's interesting. I've, I've spent my whole career on the sales side and then, and, and, and into sales management. So, um, th- this is, you know, of course this, this topic, this part of the org charts near and dear to my heart, um, from, from what I've done, but from a corporate standpoint, you know, the corporation will tell you, we want honesty and transparency and ethics with every one of our salespeople that that's what they want. We, every year will have training on this and you have to sign some kind of disclosure that says, absolutely. You're going to be honest and transparent in everything that you do and yada, yada, yada. So. They try to do that. But in the same token, um sales, especially commissioned salespeople, yes. that personality is somebody that's up, you know, high risk taker. Um, you know, because there are months that if you don't sell anything, you don't eat. You don't get eat you don't get paid. Yes. Um so you you've got a certain type of a person that's in that role um from a personality standpoint, and there's personality tests that we take. I mean, you know, if we if we were thinking about bringing you into the sales department, Michael, and you know, we would give you an exam first, this personality exam and the exam would say, you don't belong in the sales department. You okay. know, it's just that, that, that you've got the, you know, accounting side, we would offer you a great role in our accounting department, but sales just not so much. So you've got to kind of balance that too. But here's the thing, the best, the absolute best long-term salespeople are always transparent, uh, do play, play by the book. The ones that aren't are the short-term ones that wash out. So again, I don't want to pick on any industry. And and, and if you're, if you sell cars, um, I'm not taking a shot at you. However, here's, here's what I want you to think about the last several times that you've went to a used car lot or or a dealer. How many times have you gotten the same person? (laughs) You know, Americans on average buy a car every three to five years, and I can tell you that those guys usually aren't there. The same guy's not there selling me a car the next time I go get a car. Um, I, whether it's that industry, whether it's turnover, whatever. But that's also who has the worst stereotype, right? Of not of misleading, of not being honest, of not. And it's that those short-term successes. So here's the thing. Here's here's what I want to step back and say. This is just like. Our, our Christian walk and our Christian life, you can take short-term successes, and I'm going to quote successes, and have long-term failures by cheating, by not following the rules. And this is what happens, right? This is why lust is a sin, but marriage uh, is what God wants us to do, right? this is why sexual immorality is is, is a sin. It's because it is a short-term immediate gratification fix. It's the easy way. Marriage, commitment, long-term relationships, those things are hard. Doing it the right way is, is hard, but I can take this shortcut into adultery, into sexual immorality, and I can get what I want right now, but I don't have to put in all the hard work to be committed. I don't have to give the proper disclosures. I don't have to do the things necessary for it to be successful long-term. And I think it's, it's, it's really the, the same thing you know, in sales. If you do it the right way and are transparent, you'll have a very successful long career in sales. If you are dishonest, if you are misleading, if you aren't following you know, the same biblical principles we do with everything else, honest and fair dealing, if you're not doing that, then you're not going to last very long. You, you may have a very short run as a, and, and great success. And I've seen it, you know, in the bank with mortgage lenders. I've seen it with financial advisors. I've seen it with bankers that they come in, they set the world on fire until all this, their deals start to unravel. And six months later, a year later, as soon as we find out they're not here anymore. Um, and that happens in a lot of organizations. It's, you know, yeah, great. You made a bunch of cash, but your career is very short-lived.
1: Two uh, two proverbs that I'd like to insert into the conversation here. One is, and I should have led with this. Um, you know, the proverb writer says, you know, the the person that uses dishonest weights and dishonest scales, um, that's an abomination. And, and that 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 is, I think that the, the twenty twenty uh, parallel of that would be um, the the person who uh, is not transparent as a salesperson, right? That they're selling something different than. Than uh, than what the the buyer gets, and the other one, as you, as you bring up, uh, I think it's interesting. Proverbs thirteen verse eleven: Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will will increase it. You know that's a that's a principle I think would cover any any business, any role rolling business, but specifically in sales, is that um, you know, you know it's a, it's a good life principle, but it's it is a biblical principle that that, that slow accumulation. Um, that, that taking the long-term approach, trying to keep a, a customer or a client for 20 years instead of 20 minutes, um, that, that, that kind of fits that, that, that Proverbs 13 person, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, um, but he who gathers it little by little will increase it. And so, um, as you said, as Christians, we're, we're asked to take a long view on a lot of things, um, in in that, that short term uh, microwave view of uh, whether it's um, you know our our even our position within the workforce, right? That we mm-hmm. we think that tomorrow we need to be in a position of authority. Now I think I, I see this uh, even uh, man I never I think the first time I've said use this phrase and it's a little scary as I see younger people coming into the workforce there is this now I'm an old guy I, I, <laughs> as I see younger people coming to the workforce, there is this expectation of promotion on a, on a pace or on a schedule that, that is often not realistic or, or wouldn't, wouldn't have been realistic 10 years ago. And, and so uh, this idea that it does take time, that it is a, it's a process and the, the sales process if done correctly is kind of that way, right? Is that we're probably going to be better, 10 years from now than we are now. Why is that? Well, if if you've been transparent with your customers and clients and, and you're able to maintain that, that base, right. That you've been honest and, uh, you know, you, you maintain those and they accumulate over time rather than each, each individual transaction being a one-off thing.
0: Yeah. And, and that, that's really the, you know, the, the rub here is that, you know, you're, uh, your best people, your best salespeople. And, and it doesn't, doesn't mean necessarily you stay at the same company. You know, you can move from corporation A to corporation B Your stuff spot and sold all the time, but it's, does that customer base follow you? And, and that's usually, that's what's indicative. That's what we look for when we're hiring experienced salespeople is, you know, let's talk about your customer base. You know, how many followers you got? Cause if you've been in this business any time, you know, your customer base will tell on you whether you're, you're honest or not. And, and those, you know, uh, reviews and uh, surveys and things, you know, usually end up telling the full story. Um, I, I think that Proverbs 13, I think the message puts that get rich quick schemes are an abomination. And I think hmm. that's the way that that reads.
1: <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I think that might have been Mike's translation, <laughs> uh, which is fine. I'm okay with Mike's translation. Okay. Second, second uh, question. Um, and, and maybe somewhat similar to that, but, but, but in a different vein, is, is there a danger in your mind of, you know, both Christianity discipleship and sales to some degree are about relationships that, um, as we're, as we're out discipling, you know, all the, all the cliches that are true. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that that it, it is not reasonable for us to think that we're gonna be fishers of men unless we're out there make, building relationships with people. And, and people know that we care and they know about our lives then they become more likely to, to uh, understand and, and believe what we say about our Christianity. Mm-hmm. In the same way sales is based on relationships too, right? Is that, that you're trying to build a relationship with someone. Um, in order to, in order to uh, do your job as a salesperson. And so is there a danger or do you see a danger? How do you avoid the danger of sales becoming just an exploiting of those relationships? Is that, um, you know, I've, I'm going to take advantage of these people that I have a good relationship with because I, can, I know I can sell them stuff and that is good for me financially. Is that a danger? Do you worry about that danger?
0: Uh, don't worry about it. 100%. Um, so that, that, um, that no kidding is it, always a concern of mine. Um, I, I can talk about, you know, practically some of the things that I do and, and, and I'll do that as part of my answer. Um, but, but let me, let me kind of answer this in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, one as you know, if you're really good at, at what you do and you've got a, a product or a service that that people need, um, you know, I think absolutely, you especially try to help brothers and sisters, you know, if you can, as you can, you know, if you're a, um, you know, a therapist, um, whether mental health therapist or physical therapist, um, and, and you know, there are people that are hurting in your congregation, that you want to help them, Every, everything about you screams you want to help them. Um, I'm in the financial planning world, as, as we've said here several times, and there are a lot of Christians that need that help of, you know, how to allocate 401ks or how can I retire? When can I retire? Or all of those things that come together. Um, Here's the struggle that I have um, is that I think sometimes you can use the church directory as a prospect list, as opposed to, um, you know, building relationships and letting them come to you. So my decision what I think I do is, is important. And I think every family needs, needs what I do without question. Uh, if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing it. But, um, my decision is, is that I, I don't advertise from the pulpit when I'm preaching. Um, I I don't, you know, actively solicit. Um, but through conversations and things, people know what I do. And and I let them come to me. Um, you know, I, I do business with some members at Danville, um, and, and I'm their financial planner, but I let all of those relationships come with them asking me for help and not me going and saying, Hey, I want to be your guy. Um, that's been my decision because I never want it to be, I, I especially professionally, I, I never want the decision to be, I want you to work with me professionally because we go to church together or because we share Christian beliefs. I want you to work with me professionally because professionally, I think I'm the best person to work with you. The Christianity part of that is why I think I'm the best person to work from you, but I don't like leading that way. I I find it very uncomfortable to lead any conversation with, you should do business with me because I'm a Christian that, that feels uncomfortable. It feels like I'm using God to sell. And I, and I don't feel comfortable at all about any of that. It, it It's always giving me the hives. Yeah. And it, it's almost like, you know, uh, it's, this is just terrible cliche, but I'm saying it anyway, cause you all know that from time to time I'm just an awful person, but it, it, it's like the guy that when you're talking to says, I'm really honest. Like the first thing I want to do is cover my wallet. You know, if, if you come to me and say that, you know, Hey, we should do business together because I'm really honest, you know, uh, I'm a Christian, you know, I preach sometimes. If those are the main reasons we should do business together, I fully believe I'm getting ready to get cheated. I mean, I just do that. That's my natural inclination. If it's not really, here's the quality of the work. And when you ask me about the quality of the work, oh, by the way, the quality of the work is good because of Colossians chapter three. To me, that's a very different conversation.
1: You know, I've heard it said, thinking back on something you said there, make sure you're being used by God and not using God. Um, and so, you know, if, if we're using God to close the deal, I, I think I ought to have a level of discomfort with that at the same time, you know, there are going to be people who are naturally drawn to you and your profession, or, or perhaps another salesperson, you know, I'm, i maybe more comfortable buying a car from a salesperson that I know shares my beliefs. And mm-hmm. so how do you, how do you integrate that? Uh, how do you, how do you take, take on that client that is, that is, you know, in truth, that is the reason that they're coming to you. Do you have any discomfort with that?
0: I, I, I still do. Um, <laughs> if the reason you're, you're not coming to me again is because of the quality of the work, I'm, I'm going to back up again to, to Colossians chapter three. The quality of the work is, the reason for the quality of the work is because I belong to Jesus. That's why I do what I do. But. I've also seen relationships in the brotherhood ruined because you use a guy that's not good at his job because he's a Christian and then that deal falls apart and now you got some animosity in the family. Now you got some animosity in, in in the congregation because really you didn't you didn't make the decision the right way. Um so 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 I do. Now, I also believe that throughout the course of things and again, it it's different based on what you're doing, right? You know, if you're spending you know, an hour with with a uh, car guy trying to buy a car, you may not find out a lot about them in the financial planning process. I'm spending, you know, weeks with you months with you going through and building things. And my face going to come across through some of those conversations as we're getting to know each other. So with me, it comes out in those conversations. Organically and not inorganically. Um, I'll, I'll tell a quick funny story, not to take it too bad of a tangent, but a client of mine that I'd had for a few years. Um, she comes to my office one day and she says, "Mike, I'm mad at you." I'm like, okay, what? I'm sorry. What? I, what I do wrong? Tell me about this.
1: Get in line, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> she said, "Well, <laughs> she was like, I went looking for your phone number and I googled you and and I came across the you know website for the church." And you never told me you were a preacher. She said, I knew you were a Christian and we've had conversations about God. She said, but you, you're a pre. You should have told me you were a preacher. And I said, well, (laughs) you know, I I said, if that comes up organically, it does, but I I don't want to lead with that. And, and, and I've told every client that when we get to that conversation that, you know, I didn't know you were a preacher, knew you were Christian, knew you had good values, but you know, for some reason, preacher's another level, I think in a lot of people's eyes, um, you to me, I never ever want to be that as, as part of the sales process, that, that, that's why you make that decision. Um, but because here's the thing, sometimes deals go bad. Sometimes to the best of our ability, deals go bad. You know, I'm a financial planner and I recommend stocks, bonds, mutual funds as part of somebody's overall portfolio. I've picked bad stocks before. Um, I've picked a stock that all the, you know, data looked right. The fundamentals looked right. We made the best decision and that stock went bad. Um, now is did that stock go bad because the stock went bad? Was it, you know, I had bad advice. Did that person trust me because I'm a preacher because I'm a Christian more so than they trusted the data. See, all of those things start to get blurred, especially when deals don't go the way that we want them to. So again, you don't want to blame, you don't want somebody to blame the church, to blame the profession of evangelism, to, to blame preachers in general for a business deal that, to the best of everybody's ability, doesn't work out the way that we wanted it to. I
1: want to tease into that just to, just to one step further. As, as a consumer, I may be looking for someone who shares my values, and, and I may want, my, my preference maybe be because, again, I, I think the deal is going to be transparent, and somebody's going to be honest with me, and, and we, we share you know, some of the same core ideas about the quality of work, as you, as you said there from mm-hmm. Colossians 3. So, as a consumer, I may be looking for a a salesperson or an organization that has these values to do business with. But at the same time, you as a salesperson don't want to exploit those values to make the sale. And so, how are we ever going <laughs> to how are we going interact? So, how how do how does the you know nature of commerce, right? The buyer and the seller. How is this buyer that's that is looking for? someone that shares their values and the seller does share their values, but doesn't want to exploit them and market them. How do we ever get these two together? And does that create, does that create its own issues?
0: No, I think they do come together um, for a couple of reasons. I think one, they come together because we're both praying for the same thing, right? You as a consumer are praying that you find the right person to lead and guide you through a decision, especially if it's a major decision. I as a sales guy am praying for opportunities to help people that are looking. Um, So one, we're both praying for the same thing. And two, God puts people together that are praying for that. That's how Providence works. And so I I think we end up together, but the way that we end up together is not with, um, you know, Jesus being the bait, right? I, I just, I'm super uncomfortable with that idea. I think it's in the conversations. It becomes apparent. It comes out organically. You know, you see that, you know, you see the salt and light, quite honestly, you know, as you're dealing with somebody, as you're asking questions, as you're having that experience, you see that salt and light and say, you know, this is, you know, this guy's treating me different than, than others have, you know, the conversations are different, you know, we get on different lines, you know, that this feels different, and it feels distinctive. Um, and I think that comes across in the process. But I think that comes across in the process of everything you're doing as a Christian, if you're doing it right.
1: Different topic. Um, how do you, what what's the uh, rephrase that. How do you, as a salesperson, avoid and obviously what you sell is a little bit unique, but but uh, assume you're selling some kind of consumer good, um, how do you how do you avoid um, the tie of materialism consumerism? Um, if you're selling a consumer good, you are your livelihood depends on people buying this good. Does that does that feed into consumerism, materialism, or or you know, for our friends out there that are salespeople, if I am selling cars, you know, my livelihood depends on people selling cars, on people buying cars. How do I avoid um, feeding into our our worst materialistic instincts?
0: Well, I think part of it is, uh, you know, I'm going to go back to where we started. That's some businesses are bad, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if you're, uh, you know, peddling pornography, I, I don't think you can ever feel good as the pornography salesperson. Like, I don't, I don't think that you can get there. Sure. Um, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable. Um, and, and, and this may be open for a, a broader debate, but I'm not going to feel comfortable as a liquor salesperson. I'm just not, I'm not going to feel comfortable peddling, you know, beer, mm-hmm. liquor, I I, I To me, you're feeding into into some really bad spots. So, you know, with those caveats out of the way, um, you know, with products, to me also as a salesperson, you've got to believe in what you're selling. Um, So you believe that somebody needs what you have, um, for whatever reason, Um, you know, and, and, and a car is a good thing. Families need cars, people need transportation. Now, part of that, again, sales process, and I think what we want when we go on a car lot is we want an advice-based sale. We want somebody to kind of put their arm around us and say, hey, this is going to be the best vehicle for you and your family's needs. So you have the conversation, you build a relationship, and they tell you, hey, this is really what I think is going to be best for you because I'm on a lot and I see a bunch of different cars or whatever. I think that's what we want. Oftentimes what we get is, you know, whatever's got the biggest margin and how they get the biggest payday. And at least we feel that way. So again, that the Christian salesperson, what stands out, what's distinctive is when they're actually are using a consultative based approach where they're, you know, tell me about your family, tell me about what your needs are. Tell me what your budget is. Tell me about all of those things so that they can get to the point and say, you know what, you know, I know you want vehicle X, Y, Z, but, That's going to stretch your budget. And while I got a guy in the back that'll send you to some bank you've never heard of before and get you approved for 150% financing, it's not the right thing for you. You know, you and your family probably should be here and that's going to be more comfortable for your budget, for what you're trying to do and for your long-term goals. That's going to sound very, very different, right? If you're sitting at the used car lot and the guy says, I know you want the $30,000 car, but really based on what you've told me, the $20,000 one's really what you should be doing. And while I can get you approved for thirty, you don't need that. You need twenty based on your budget, based on your family, and based on all the things that you've told me today. Yeah, you know, that, that's going to feel different.
1: The Christian, based on that conversation, the Christian salesperson sometimes has to say no. Right. Yeah, that, that's it's a unique 100%. position. Mm-hmm. And, and have you been in that position?
0: I have. Um, I, I have, and and from a um, you know from a financial planning part it's it's tough um you know I've had to tell people that um look you can't invest um and then they look at me like I'm stupid well Mike don't they pay you here to get people to invest they do but you know if you don't have any liquidity if you don't have anything for an emergency fund I I can't good conscience put your money at risk but it just doesn't make any sense you know if if one missed paycheck you know puts the house in foreclosure I, how can we put money in the market and tie it up for the next 30 or 40 years? We just can't do that. So I, I've told, you know, I've, I've had to have that conversation with people and say, no, look, you, you got to kind of stay over here on the sidelines. Let's build up the emergency account. Let's do some budgeting. Um, let's do all of those things that you're probably two, three, five years away from needing me. And, and we'll talk about it down the road. Or if you're on a, a, a let's, you know, so in in my world, if you're on a fixed income, you've got, you know, only fixed dollars you're ever going to make and your company has a pension as opposed to a 401k, which don't exist a whole lot anymore. There's not a whole lot that you need me for. You know, I I can give you friendly advice and guidance. You don't need to pay me for advice and guidance because there's not that much that's going on with you. Um, You know, you're going to work, X number of years, when you stop working, you're going to get X percentage of your pay. There's nothing to manage. There's nothing to do. So you don't need to pay me, you know, whatever percentages on a year to give you advice and guidance that you don't need because everything's kind of taken care of for you. So sometimes you have to have those conversations. And I think, you know, in, in, in my case, what, what I've seen anecdotally is for those that, you know, I have honest conversations with um, other business seems to find me. You know, I, and, and again, I, I chalk it all up to Providence that, you know, for the person that I send out of my office and say, look, I'm really not your guy. I'm not the best fit for you. I'll get a phone call within a few weeks or months of somebody that I'd never talked to that, you know, says, Hey, I was referred to you by this person and want to talk to you about doing business and it's found business. So I think if you do the right thing and you do it God's way, God will find ways to take care of you.
1: I heard heard someone say recently that in in the modern world, and maybe it's always been true. The modern world just happens to be the one that I live in, so I can talk about it. <laughs> is is uh in the in the modern world, just just doing what you say you're going to do is a competitive advantage. Yes, and that that's a that's an interesting way to think about, especially in the sales department, is just just doing what you say you're going to do, just following up when you say you're going to follow up, just answering the questions that you said you're going to answer, just providing the information that you said you're going to provide, just, just doing what you say you're going to do is a competitive advantage. It, it, it sets you apart. Well, that, you know, that's based on Christian principles, right? That's honesty and, mm-hmm. and, and forthrightness and integrity and all, all that stuff. And, and so if you're, if you're doing that, you know, again, you're not doing that for a competitive advantage, but if you do that, I genuinely do think that you're setting yourself apart from a lot of other of what would be your competitors out there in the marketplace.
0: And, and that's, that's the, the thing, you know, we talk about salt and light and we talk about Christians being distinctive. And, and, and it's funny that that's one of the things um, when I, uh, when I came to the current bank that I'm working for now, um, you know, I, one of the things I always do is call through the existing clients that are, that are part of the bank And, you know, as I called and left messages, people would call back in and what the amazing thing for me for that first couple of months was people thanking me for calling them back. Like, what do you, like, why are you, why would you thank me for that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, that's just, like, it's just polite. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, how does somebody call you and leave you a message and you don't call them back? But that had been their experience with salespeople that they had worked with in the past that they call and don't get a response. Um, which to me is crazy. Um, but to your point, it just following through on, if I'm, I told you I'd have this pricing by Tuesday, if it's Tuesday, I'm going to call you with the pricing or I'm at least going to call you and say, hey, we don't have it yet. We got a couple of more pieces we got to figure out, but our next follow-up is Wednesday or Thursday. Um, we have something that, that I had a sales manager when I very first started in the business, always said um, his principle was under promise and over deliver. You know, if it takes four days to get something to your client, tell them five and they're excited when it shows up in four, because if you tell them three and it gets there in four, they're mad at you. And he said, so just set the expectations and, uh, you know, under promise and over deliver. And if you'll do that, if you'll take care of them and build in some wiggle room for things that can go wrong, you'll have great relationships. But if you won't, if you don't do that, if you're not that thoughtful about what they have going on, then you'll ruin relationships over very minor things.
1: And, and sometimes I think that that doesn't necessarily come from a, a dark place. It doesn't come from a desire to be uh, dishonest or not transparent. But it's just uh, <laughs> over optimistic exuberance, right? That, yes. that you, you want. Uh, perhaps you want to provide somebody something and say, no, I think we can do this in three days. And then and then you tell three different people that and the work piles up and it ends up being six days from all of them. Well, effectively, what you've done is you've misled three different people. Yes. And so it's so it's incredibly important, especially in this realm. You know, obviously, we have a desire to be honest and transparent, but but are we going to functionally be honest and transparent? And then, and then, when, when when the second person comes in, no matter how good the deal is, if we've already made an agreement with the first person that we're going to turn around in three days, are you willing to tell the second person that it's going to be a week okay. um, on on a bigger deal that could be mm-hmm. mean more for you? Uh, that that's where the uh, uh, the the rubber hits the road, so to speak, cliche. Mm-hmm. That that you know, are you gonna are you gonna have the integrity to uh, to to be? I guess it's just honest um, with ourselves and with, and with our clients uh, on what the turnaround is.
0: There's where you hit it. And and there's where um, good salespeople, and and I'm going to categorize them, not just your average salesperson, but really good salespeople where they falter is not being honest with themselves. Um, and, And whether it's, they've created too much work for the back office, the processing, the operators, and they're not honest with, look, I I just loaded them up. There's no way they can take this deal or even with themselves, even if they're the ones that have to turn it, you know, not being honest with, you know, look, I've only got so many hours in a day. There's only so much I can do. And there's just no way I'm going to be able to, with the caseload I've got right now to turn another deal by the end of the week, because if I prioritize this one, I'm going to have to mess up somebody else's. And so it's, it's being honest with ourselves, you know, at You always say, you know, rule number one, know yourself, know what your limitations are, know what you can and can't do. Um, And and I'll tell you, that was the hardest thing for me um, throughout my career was understanding when I'm not the right guy for somebody. So, you know, being a financial planner is very personal. It's very, um, you know, you have to be connected. There's a lot of things that have to go right because my job really is to provide advice to people. I mean, and so if you don't want advice, I'm not the guy for you. Um, but there's been several deals that were, you know, I, you would think are big deals, multi-million dollar deals that I've had to tell people, I'm not your guy. And most of that reason is because they don't want advice. Um, they just want, you know, kind of, of order taking. And so if, if I devote time to executing their orders and, and trying to get their pricing right, when, then I'm not able to give advice and guidance to my core client group. So it ends up taking away, it ends up distracting and it ends up, you know, getting away from the core business and, and saying no to that. Um, is hard because you're trained when you first get in, take every deal you can get. Um, but the more you grow and the more you understand yourself and, and, and your own ethics and responsibilities, the more you understand there's certain things that you just can't take. You just have yeah. to say, no, that's not our business.
1: You know what, What's the functional difference between unintentionally giving somebody an, an incorrect uh, date or, or, or and intentionally giving them an incorrect date? Function of that person, there's no difference, right? It, it, it was it was a it was an incorrect and in their minds a dishonest uh, assessment of when of when that could be turned around. So that that's certainly that certainly is a challenge. Completely different track, um, and and we don't have a ton of time left, but uh, want we'll to at least talk about this for a minute. Part of the obviously part of the sales process is pricing. And so um, that, that kind of can lead to its own set of challenges, um, especially for salespeople where prices are not, um, are, are dynamic, that they're that they're not static, they're not set. And then the salesperson may in fact have some, um, in some instances may have some um, influence on what the price can be to, to a given customer. So um, that, that, that can lead, uh, to, to its own set of challenges. So as, as in the sales department, as a salesperson yourself, how do you handle that issue? How do you determine, um, if you've been in that scenario, how do you determine which customer gets which price? And and then as a subset of that, maybe we can talk about as part B of that question. Do you, do you answer that question differently if you're dealing with brethren?
0: So here, here's the other thing with, um, Stereotypes or or misnomers about sales is that the pricing is completely dynamic right because it's not um, every company from the top down has a margin that they're trying to live in, and I don't care what you're selling if you're selling bottles of Mountain dew there's a margin that you have to live in that's built, you know right there is cost of goods, cost of service um cost to keep the lights on, so all of that's baked into the margin now typically what salespeople have is a little wiggle room in that margin. So if that target margin that the company puts out is, you know, if you're in a 1% business, which I'm in and, and, and Michael's in, you know, we, we, we try to live at a, at a 1% margin. That um, There is some flexibility in there to go, you know, plus or minus, you know, five, maybe 10 basis points what a basis point is instead of one, it could go to 0.9 or or maybe 1.1. But what you've got to factor in there is, are you picking up any additional costs as well? You know, right. So if I, if I pick up a um, you know, a client that's more labor intensive and I've got to spend instead of, you know, six hours a year, I've got to spend 18 hours a year with them. Then, you know, that, that maybe we're looking at 1.1 because we've picked up additional costs. There's additional resources we're going to need to use, all of those things. Um, transversely, if you've got a client that that is less labor intensive, you know, if it's an additive client, so if I, you know, if, if I'm already dealing with the husband and I pick up the wife's account, um, you know, additively, I, I didn't increase the workload any because I'm seeing them now together as opposed to seeing somebody separate. So there, there's some pricing fluctuations in there. Um, and not to get too deep into pricing models, but, but I think that's important that, that we've got to understand that these things aren't completely fluid. There, there's some math behind it and, and that, you know, everybody, um, you know, everybody wants to think that, you know, uh, well, 1% I can understand, but you know, I, and, and I don't know off the top of my head, but, but Michael, what's, what's the margin on a mount, bottle of Mountain Dew at a C store, you know? to the end from the end user, right? uh, They're paying up 30% margin on that. Yeah. Let's say that,
1: that retailer, uh, probably in their profit models is probably in a 40% margin, maybe 50% margin on some, on some goods in the store. Um, some food service goods, probably 50 package goods, probably 35
0: to 40. Okay. So, so, so let's think about this. You know, that, that sounds atrocious, right? (laughs) You know, they're making 40% off of me. Well, they bought that bottle of Mountain Dew for a dollar and they're selling it to you for a dollar 40. <laughs> you know, they made 40 cents on that bottle of Mountain Dew. Okay. We're, we're talking about low dollar items. So they made 40 cents on that. They're probably paying a hundred to $150 a square foot for that store. Plus they're paying employees and benefits and back end and insurance and all that stuff. So while sometimes we jump at percentages and say percentages are, you know horrendous and they're r- ripping me off because they had a 40 percent profit margin we don't really know that's not profit margin by the way that's sales margin profit margin's say, a whole they, other story
1: when we get to the accounting part of this of this uh lesson series we're going to talk about the interesting markup and margin and why your dollar 40 but anyway i'll i'll, yeah. I'll, I'll leave <laughs> you alone on your 40 cents on your dollar 40 for now yeah,
0: yeah. so again there's back into that. And and I think sometimes when we look at margins, we think, you know, well, that awful salesperson, he could have gotten away with a uh, 25% margin instead of 40. Well, maybe could, maybe could not, I, I mean, we, we got to look at a lot of things in there and um, what flexibility you have and what you don't. So again, that that's all part of it. Um, and, and with Brethren, I think you like with any other customer, you know, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. I think if you've got some wiggle room, if you can, I try to price those very competitively and, um, you know, and, and make sure I'm doing everything I can with also being honest with, you know, time commitments, with being honest with the cost, with being honest with the net, because I've also got a fiduciary responsibility to the company you know, right. I, I work for a for-profit company. And I think sometimes, you know, um, I think sometimes the stereotype is, is that all Christians should work for nonprofits. Um, all Christians should, you know, almost take a vow of poverty and somehow if you work for a nonprofit and you take a vow of poverty that you're holier than other people, and it's just nonsense, right? Um, let's be honest with the text. Uh, you know, in Acts, what did, what did Paul and Aquila and Priscilla do? They made tents. Well, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla didn't set up a manufacturing facility. They sold those tents and they went down in the, you know, the bazaar or the open place market and they sold their wares. That's how they made a living. They made a living by selling tents and they made a living based on whatever margin that they could get. Cause that was their only means of support. And so, you know, sales or uh or making and selling of products um and and having a comfortable enough margin to where you can afford to take care of your family is a absolutely a biblical concept i mean you can you can see paul doing that um for sure throughout acts and aquila and priscilla and and paul would always fall back on that it was like you know he could if, if the gospel was supporting him for a while that was great but if not he could always make tents um and and, and again making them to sell so you know, those profit margins, and, and I'm sure that, that as Paul, uh, you know, dealt with people, he, he had to get a fair enough price to where, you know, here's if it cost him a dollar to make a tent, you know, and he had to sell it for $2, but it cost him, you know, 90 cents to live in town <laughs> off of every tent, then, you know, that that's all part of the math that, that goes into that as to what, you know, the true net profit is. Um, but but it's there's nothing wrong with being profitable. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with with owing a fiduciary responsibility to the company that you work for, because they're for profit companies, they got to make money, they've got employees to pay. And all the way down that list, you know, right. So the money that, that I make as the sales guy has to pay the support people. And and that has to also cover the overhead of the building and the lights and the insurance and all that stuff. All of those things have to be covered by that. So <laughs> the, the margins are, are, are all part of, of making sure that you, you know, you stay employed and you keep everybody else employed too.
1: I would add Lydia to that list of your, uh, your, <laughs> your sellers in the book of Acts. You know, she was a, she was a salesperson. She was a saleswoman. She, she uh, was a seller of purple. So, uh, there, there had to be some margin in that, uh, in order for her to, in order for her to survive. Um, and
0: luxury goods, by the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said um you know there as you said there is this um there's this tension that exists um in this in this part of the conversation that there is this this sense that um if there's any profit being made then someone is being exploited um that there is that at least that sentiment exists in some places even among even among brethren right in that Mm -hmm. there's there's just this feeling that if, if a, if company X is making a profit, then they're charging more than they have to. Um, so, so this, this kind of, this gets outside of the, the sales realm a little bit, but you know, is there a point, is there a point when profit does become exorbitant or exploitative and, uh, how do you, how do you make sure? And I'm, how do you make sure that you're not getting to that point?
0: so so i I mean that those are tough philosophical questions really um in core belief, I'm a capitalist, and I think the market always dictates what, what what's there um but you know again i I don't think any of us and I don't think scripture says that that we've got to take a vow of poverty P, peter was was very wealthy he was successful in what he did does that mean he had too much profit no um but what'd you do with that prophet? What'd you do with that? I think that's the, the bigger question that, that you know, it, it's not, is it a sin to make money? Um, I, I don't think I can see that anywhere, whether we're talking about Abraham, whether we're talking about Solomon, whether we're talking about Peter, whether we're talking about any of these wealthy guys, Joseph of Arimathea, any of these very wealthy people that we can point out in scripture, them being wealthy, them accumulating wealth was never an issue. The issue is what you do with it. Um, you know, are you generous? are you taking that and and, and <laughs> yes. doing you know are, are you doing good work with it um or are you like the rich young ruler? are you relying on that wealth is is that your god um so you know again you know god 's god 's going to bless us and 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 there 's especially with some of this and and I think part of it you get into some of these companies that go parabolic um you know you, if me and you were were smart and worked in our garage and built a computer system that changed revolutionized the world, you know, and, and added, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars or potentially trillions of dollars to the economy. Is it wrong that, you know, 10% of that because we created the technology we should have? I I mean, I I don't think so. I mean, that when you create a disruptive technology like that, when you are the inventor and the owner, um, you should have a, a, a pretty sizable piece of that. But again, you're working for God, not for shareholders, not for board of directors, you're working for God. So what are you doing with that? I think that's the bigger picture and and that's what we tried to answer in our last series of being, you know, what the things that God's entrusted us with, what are you doing with them? Um, so I, I don't think it's wrong to make profit to make margin. I think it is could potentially be wrong depending on what you're doing with it.
1: There are, uh, there's much more to discuss in this area and I'm sure we'll, we'll dabble in the sales department as we move on to future lessons. But speaking of responsibilities, I have some, and so I have to, uh, I have to, uh, in this at this point, I, I thought that was a, a, a very cool dive there. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll touch on some other sales, uh, sales topics in future lessons, but I know maybe next time, I don't know if it's operations or, uh, accounting, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll determine which direction to go next. And we'll try to do this again this time next week.
0: Yeah. And a little bit of feedback too. Um, you know, we've thrown out the idea here this morning of maybe having some guest speakers. So if you are in HR, if you're in management, if you're in one of these roles that we're going to go down, um, and you are okay with being peppered like I was this morning, um, then, uh, shoot us a note, um, text us, uh, or, or messages or whatever. Cause I think we may invite you in and, uh, get some expertise in some places that quite honestly, Michael and I just don't have expertise. Uh, we've never worked in the HR department. Um, he's, he's an accountant. I'm a sales guy. <laughs> so we, uh, well, there's parts of the business that we know about, but don't have direct experience in. So we, uh, we might love to uh, invite some guests on here in the future, but we'll, uh, we'll see if we have any takers.
1: Very good, my friend until next time.
0: All right, thank you all for tuning in and uh, look forward to seeing you again next week.
1: Thank you, brother.